0: Hello listeners, today on Blind Insights, are we alone in the universe?
1: I'm joined by not an alien figure, David Olney, how are you?
0: I'm glad you don't think I'm an alien figure. I can't see, so I often think I am. But I'm just very glad not to be
1: alone. Alien in the sense that you're not other. We're used to you having you here. Oh, okay. Well, that's
0: cool. I like that then.
1: We're also uh, used to having uh, another special guest. Thank you for joining us, Peter Thompson. I I come in peace, guys.
0: Nanu, nanu. And he didn't bring a big egg with him. Is he wearing suspenders? Am
1: I going to have a little Peter pop out of my stomach? Uh, yeah, I'm wondering more like
0: Mork from Ork. Has he got his suspenders oh, on? Oh, I see. No suspenders? No. And no egg. So no Mork from Ork. Right. So Peter also is not an alien. Yeah. It's lovely to have him back in the studio. Well,
2: apparently I've come woefully unprepared, but it's a pleasure to be
0: here. <laughs> well, you don't know about Mork from Mork? No. No, wow, it, I forget how much older I am than you that, guys. Is that Robin Williams? Yes. That, Robin uh, Williams yeah. on mainstream TV when his stand-up shows at night were kind of never going to make TV because yeah. there was that much drug and sex reference, and then he'd be making this program that was G-rated and on at 4.30 in the afternoon. Yeah, and then they realised that they could put him in tons of kids' movies. Yeah, well, it's good as long as he stayed off the drugs and tried not to have sex with the other stars. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're already <laughs> off topic. How the
1: heck did that happen? Uh, because... I, I mean, did it. it <laughs> well, no, it's a topic that covers, uh, well, A, a lot of cultural references, but B, it's like... It is it is, a, it is. simultaneously quite a specific and a broad topic. Like how much, It covers so
0: much mm. of what we think and know. Mm. Okay, listeners, to give you a bit of context, I've been doing a straw poll today, which has helped me clarify the topic for today a bit. And I've just been asking people I encountered on the way to the studio. And it's amazing what I ask people, and they probably think I'm weird, but that's okay. You know, are we alone in the universe? And of course, a few people asked the very clever question of, do you mean other sentient beings who can think about that? I'm like, yes. So really what we're talking about today is are we alone in the universe or are there other sentient beings who wonder if they are alone in the universe? And the way, well, the reason I thought about doing today's topic is because I was doing my normal fun thing of looking at my YouTube subscription channel and going between things on guitars, and things on handmade knives, and things on the news, and things about science, and having lots of fun learning stuff and being entertained. And then a video popped up that I listened to all about the Apollo 10 mission. And the Apollo 10 mission was the mission where they pretty much practiced and trained for everything that would happen in the Apollo 11 mission, which is where Neil Armstrong actually stepped onto the moon. Apollo 10 was such a similar mission that they deliberately did not fuel the lander properly because they were afraid that if they would put enough fuel in it, that the astronauts would just go, "What the heck? We must well land now." When the Apollo 10 mission got to the dark side of the moon, the side where they're getting no radio signals from Earth, suddenly through the headphones between the two modules of the spacecraft, they start hearing. Closest thing you can probably describe it as is musical notes. Pure, clean tones that change pitch. This is a place where there is no radio signal from Earth hitting them. And they have a conversation about, wow, this is weird. Wow, this is creepy. Uh, The minute we're past the dark side and we're back in radio contact, do we tell Earth? No, we don't tell Earth. Let's not tell Earth. We like flying too much. And when I did a little bit of research, I realised there is an incredible uh, culture being exposed in NASA of lie so you can fly. Don't say what weird things you've encountered. Don't say what weird things have happened on missions. And the more I investigated, the more I found that astronauts, as they're getting into their, their 80s, their last interview, their last update to their biography... The number who've come out and said they've either looked out the window of the shuttle and there has been a UFO. you know, They've been on a spacewalk, looked across, and you know, there is sort of the, the silhouette of something in a sense looking back at them out of the darkness. And it seems to be just accepted by them that we may or may not know what is out there, but something is definitely out there that is interested in us as we would be in them if we could go further than the moon. Mm. So, gentlemen, where where do you sit on the are we alone in the universe or are there potentially other sentient beings wondering if they are alone? Go for it,
1: Peter.
2: Oh, boy. Well, you know, this is the big question, isn't it? Um, you know, we've been asking it since we've been looking up at the sky. Um, I think it's almost undoubtable that there's a huge amount of life in the universe right the conditions that seem to have been present on earth around when life started here just don't seem very dissimilar at all from from the rest of our um our galaxy
0: you know goldilocks planets yeah right chemicals probably water right range from suns yeah yep
2: yep exactly so it's it, it, there is either, and I'm not discounting the possibility, there is either something terribly, terribly unique about the Earth situation, which I'm inclined to doubt, or life is probably quite prolific all across um, the universe. And that that would be the side that I would kind of
0: lead towards. So you leaning towards sort of basic life being common or sentient think well, about looking up at the star's life
2: well this is the thing right I mean you know I was having a conversation kind of preparing for this last night with uh, with my in-laws and um, and we got into the into the question of what successful life is and I was taking the position that I would call on an on earth I would call bacterial life the most successful I would call um, insectoid life the most Successful, because it's by far more resilient. It's uh, there's more of it in terms of biomass and pure volume. Um, and I said resilient, right? So mm, it's yeah. it, you know it, it, you want to talk about the pinnacle of evolution. I would be um, I would be skeptical to call us the pinnacle of evolution. No, we're we
0: sentient. We look up at the stars. Mm, but mm. if we we're talking about efficiency of life we're profoundly inefficient.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, look at, uh, I think dragonflies have like a, a 94% success ratio in hunting prey mm. as opposed to like the 50, 60% you get in like a tiger. So we yeah. think about these things all kind of differently.
0: Yeah. Like we like the tiger because it looks amazing. Yeah. Well, we like dragonflies too, but normally the tiger is seen as the cooler critter.
1: Yeah. Well, you would think it would, I guess it has a,
0: a perception of being a, a, a more... Uh, a successful predator Mm, it's alpha Mm. we don't realize a dragonfly is alpha in its ecosystem Mm. okay so we've already got an interesting distinction there of well there's probably a heap of life out there but whether it looks up at the stars and wonders if anyone else is looking up thinking about i wonder if anyone else is out there thinking like we're thinking is kind of secondary you know life could be all over the joint what about you tim where are you where do you sort of sit on this generally
1: that revelation is completely new to me and I, I like the sound of it um, as in the kind of in, in, in insect, insectoid, whatever kind of.
0: There's uh, plenty of life. Yeah. But it maybe doesn't need or want to look up at the stars.
1: Right. Temptation is there definitely to say that you know, we're special and no one else is like us and sentient mm. in our kind of ways. Um, but I am still going to say that I still think there are going, even, even if it's fewer, even if even uh, i still think that there would be examples of more sentient life looking up at the stars and wondering what the hell <laughs> what the hell else is out there but it's weird because like i guess the universe is expanding right
0: so the gaps are getting bigger between places yeah
1: yeah like it, it, how how many new life forms are it, it, it's kind of weird because i guess time is relative Right. Or was that prov- disproven? I don't know. I don't know enough about the science, but could you even say that maybe new life forms are even forming every day just by virtue of how far away they are in time rele- relative to us? Is well, it that- makes
0: sense because there are old stars and there are stars being born. Yeah. So if you've still got stars being born, then around them must still be material accreting to become planets. Hmm. So there must be planets in all sorts of different phases of development from, you know, life was there 10 billion years ago to, you know, today a planet started forming. You know, there's a comet that's going to get a bit closer to that accretion of rock and ice every, you know, hundred years for a few more thousand. Mm -hmm. And then one day it's going to hit it. And that's going to be enough for the bacteria to get knocked off of the comet Mm -hmm. and to find enough water to go, hey, this is like home. I'll colonize this. And it might not work the first time it hits it. It might take another hundred years before it hits it again. But one day, that bacteria will transfer. Mm. You know, that that crazy word, panspermia, which is a really weird word. The idea that you know, little critters, little bacteria, you know, get knocked off of rocks and ice and end up in new places. Yeah,
2: yeah. And then you've got you know these huge fields of organic matter that are floating. You know, the width of solar systems. You know, hundred solar systems wide, floating through space with all of these stuff, elliptical little asteroids going through mm. and just you know, grabbing some gloop and then continuing on. Um, Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, it's a big cauldron. I think big, big universe, it's a big galaxy. And then you think about, you know, I mean, we could even talk about, I think it's, it's almost, um, I think it'd be ridiculous to say there was no other life in the galaxy. And then you're like, well, I mean, how many galaxies do we have?
0: Yeah. Yeah. We can't really imagine the scale. So it seems what we're leaning towards is, you know, life getting on with being alive, highly probable. Sentient life looking up and wondering if someone is looking back. Still possible, but less probable than just life getting on with being alive. Mm. That's sort of a, a fair starting point. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And of course, the question, and it's a weird question to pop into my head being that I'm not religious. But I wonder what this question is like for people who go... We were made by God. I mean, and our planet was shaped by God. That this question must take on a different flavour.
1: It does. It doesn't seem entirely incompatible. Like it no, would be but a, question just a different flavour,
0: and that's why I said sort of flavour, because mm. it's not denying there's no God, but it's going well. What bit isn't in the book God gave you? Mm. Well, God mm. also made 497 other planets, with you know a half dozen sentient species who are radically different to us existed. You know, a long time before us, and some you know are going to exist after us. Uh okay. Yeah that that then raises all sorts of interesting questions that people can still have faith in something providing the life spark that made humans human in the way they are. But it's a bit harder to have for the whole universe. So
1: we're going to be an experiment, right? Is that like that that's the question it raises for me if if several sentient species have existed before us and will after us, are we just the 497th experiment well, of it, God's disciples. This
0: <laughs> is an interesting book I read a few months ago. wasn't going to talk about it in an episode because it really is out there stuff. Sure. But I think it relates to this. Stuff. Graham Hancock, the guy that works on Did We Have a Civilization? Before the Last Ice Age, before 11,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the evidence all says we did. Oh, wow. It, it's all highly credible. Unfortunately, um, Graham Hancock is very famous and unwell. So the likelihood of us getting him as a guest is very low. Um, but he... Tries to support books of other people who are putting forward different ideas about history. Hmm. And he had a book on his website a few months ago written by uh, a British IT expert. And, you know, like I he said, he's not a medical professional. He's not a scientist in the conventional biological sciences sense, but he is good at doing the scientific method and following evidence. And he's looked at the evolution of our brain. Uh, and gone. There's no freaking way we evolved over the last five million years. Just, it doesn't add up. His argument is we are an experiment. Mm. And his argument for it is really interesting that if you look at most other species, their brain evolves incredibly slowly mm-hmm. because if something goes wrong and we've got to remember evolution is random. So uh, if one, re- oh, sorry to jump un- in un- unless it's, Interfered with by precisely outer space And that's, that, that's his implication is mm. that what he's arguing in the book is that if you look at the rate our brain case was developing at, the size of our brain was evolving incredibly slowly. Like, yes, it was getting better, but the point is when something goes wrong with a brain, what tends to happen is spontaneous abortion of the fetus or you're born brain dead. And let's be blunt, in a hard primitive world, you're just going to be left to die. Right. So, if the brain goes wrong, you die, which means most, you know, slight changes aren't going to you know result in good outcomes.
1: But it, so
0: it's the like uh, the irreducible complexity argument, right? Something like something? that. Yeah, mm. that it's so easy for it to cascade and go wrong. Mm. And yet he goes, okay, if you look at the rate that we went from the last known brain case of our nearest ancestor, mm. ancestor, to leaping to. Modern Homo sapien, it's just all too fast. Mm. He says essentially between a million years ago and a hundred thousand years ago, we have done more brain development in you know 900,000 years than we've done in the previous five million. And it's an interesting argument because he's not saying he knows the exact answer, but he is saying, you know, he said, Oh, the other interesting thing, and yeah, I didn't think I was going to be talking about this, but it's really an interesting <laughs> argument. Um, He says, other very interesting thing is, too, that genuinely when you get a random mutation, as you do, in the next generation, someone will get it, someone won't. There'll be little variations. All humans essentially have the same brain in its architecture, how it constructs itself. Mm. Life experience will make it wire slightly differently. But the sheer consistency of our brain is abnormal. Hmm. Really? Hmm. Yeah. So, so you're telling
2: me th- it wasn't just the power of meat? Because that's that's what I've been told. That well, we mushrooms. Were, that we were subsuming on mm. uh, on on uh, legumes and nuts, and then we got Yeah, thumbs. and then we got the
0: shellfish. Yeah. Yep. Okay. It, certainly, everyone argues that sped up the pace. Mm. And we can see in Homo erectus, who was probably eating shellfish, mm. that, yep, their brain's growing, but their brain is growing at that consistently slow rate. Mm. And yet suddenly, woomph. And for a while on Earth, we have Neanderthal and Homo sapien both bubbling along. How is it that Homo sapien totally and utterly dominated in the end? And, okay, there's a little bit of Neanderthal DNA in us from interbreeding. It's sitting there, but our brain is what it is. It's not a half and half. It's a 99.9% Homo sapien brain. Mm. So like you are saying, he doesn't claim to know how it happened. He's just going, if we are now starting to come up with ways to manipulate genes, and one of the most critical things with gene manipulation, and he talks about the other you know, CRISPR system, mm. and I don't know what CRISPR stands for, for gene manipulation, but the implication of CRISPR is that when you modify a gene, you don't just modify it to be the way you want it once. You modify it to become the dominant gene every time that, that entity makes another generation. Oh. Mm. That only comes out of gene editing. Nature mm. doesn't do that.
1: I I just uh, I don't know. I there's something about I every even the this which is quite an intellectual
0: argument I just feel like is a conspiracy theory. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's my problem is I find the idea that we certainly can't explain the rate of increase. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. And this is why I've always gone, oh, they're looking for the missing link that fills the gap that explains how we got from, you know, Homo erectus to us. Yeah. And I've always been convinced, yeah, dudes, there's not one. Mm -hmm. There has to be several because it's going to be incremental. Yeah. And they're not finding it. Mm. But that's also because we were in a world where we wandered about and, you know, we probably didn't have burial practice until far more recently so it's dumb luck if we find good examples mm. but you know, it raises again this i partially raise this for for two things you know first if it's a question of you have faith that you know we are sort of the consequence of someone's plan mm. then this is an interesting physical proof for something like intelligent design which i think is you know delusional garbage the idea that someone knew exactly what they were going to make and what it was going to turn out like, and it was going to be an image of them. <laughs> no. Mm. Sorry, not going there. That's just too weird. But on the other hand, if there is sentience in the universe and it's a long way ahead of us, how would we feel about the idea that they looked at this planet and went, this place is amazing. It's in what we understand as the Goldilocks zone. Mm. These upright ape improvement critters are doing pretty good but there's no guarantee they'll get to that next level of evolving to the point where they will look up and wonder if we're looking down at them. Mm. How about we don't define them, i.e. the end point, but we give them enough of an advantage to speed it up?
2: Well, you know, this this is an interesting thing. I mean, we've almost got a horseshoe here, haven't we? We start with intelligent design, you know, like yeah. – uh, yeah. God made the dinosaurs to trick us, but it was actually four thousand years ago. You know, and it was just so we could
0: have bronto burgers. Yeah, right. Come on it's the Flintstones dude. Yeah, sure.
2: <laughs> and now we're and now we're going back on the other side of the horseshoe to kind of magic spaceman did it. Yeah. But but it's interesting because the two the two ideas are parallel in a scary way. Similar. Yeah, you know, yeah. there's um I'm a big fan of um of Jordan Peterson. And and one of the most interesting ideas that I've seen him present is his rationalization for God Um, kind of saying, well, okay, we we're sitting around and let's talk about how we can make the world a good place. And everyone will say reasonable people will say cooperation um, analysis, conversation, the um, switching of information, deriving the truth, and and you know and all of this will ultimately lead you know all of this has ultimately led to a world where cooperation is increasingly more valued and more important and more lauded uh, than conflict or or um other kind of um approaches and his argument is well an argument for god could be that the development of us as a species seems to tend towards cooperation that seems to be where we're sitting today, we're saying, I think that most of the conversations we've had have all kind of come back to, well, if we talked a bit more, if we uh, understood each other a bit more, if we cooperated a bit more, as is in our nature to a large part, then things would be better. And that's kind of the rough, the rough trend.
0: Mm. You know, Nicholas Christakis' whole argument in Blueprint and why we had him on as a guest in such a scary period of human history where we believe humans are actually loopy and can't get along. Nicholas has made the solid argument, no, actually we are what we are because we're social. Mm. And the social is the thing that keeps stopping us going completely the wrong way. Right. It, it tends us towards getting along better with each other and being more aware of the importance of our environment.
2: But what's but what's interesting is that it seems to be built it, to a certain extent... That cooperation is the is the best strategy seems to be built into the fabric of reality itself to a certain extent, and so I'm just seeing this argument. You know, aliens come here because they see promise in a in a um, in in an early in a proto human in a
0: hominid of some sort, right?
2: And and that is kind of the same um, I don't know concept as the idea of you know a god reaching down and touching, yeah an ape or, or, or generating some people yeah. um, who are doing the same things. It's, it's an odd. And how
0: would we feel when the reveal happened that said, hi, monkeys, we played with your head. Look, it ended well, didn't it? Well, I mean- See, I thought you think, cool.
2: Yeah, I mean, it would be it would be cool. But that's, I mean, this is another thing, right? Is this why- are we ready for that yet? Because I don't think, I think as a whole
0: the species is. Right, I, think exactly. I like the idea because it means we would have an answer that is both definite mm. and freaky in mm. equal measure, and I love the paradox.
1: Mm. How we
0: know, and we know now that we were a science experiment. So this would be like a, a another kind of Nietzschean revelation. Oh, yeah. Uh, like-
1: uh, <laughs> the human... Um, f-
0: like free will or whatever is dead and what are we going to do with <laughs> well, not, not that our free will is dead actually uh, our problem is we need to accept that we've got it mm. that we got an upgrade potentially
1: what would you call it then we didn't the,
0: we made compliant
1: the human consciousness mm. what would like I, I, but you know what i mean i'm, yeah. I'm just trying to yeah, describe again the- this
0: is the thing then this is the whole uh you know brain mind question mm. Do we have a brain or a mind? And where does our mind live? Mm. Our mind lives in our brain, but what's our mind? Mm. Our mind is our brain, but our brain can't explain how our mind is our mind. And I don't mind that I don't understand how our brain is our mind and our mind is our brain. I'd rather play guitar, sharpen nice cutlery, and eat pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Something's make my brain hurt. The the question
1: seems inextricably tied to religion. I mean, that's how we got here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think... And sort of part of the reason I took us in this direction is because if we then take... Sort of a more practical approach and go, okay, look at the size of the universe. Look at the time it's taken for stars to form, planets to form, matter to coalesce into clumps and lumps that up the chances of something happening. What we see is even if there's been, well, what we can hypothesize is even if there's been, you know, numbers of sentient species out there. What's the chances of them being near enough in time or proximity to actually run into each other? Mm. Like That doesn't seem very likely. If they've only got... Like we're stuffing about with fart-ass little rockets where Mars looks a monumental effort. The next rock in space for us is currently the limits. If we look at that compared to what we'd need to do to go check out the neighbourhood and check out planets in the Goldilocks zone. Mm. We haven't even built the first billy cart to roll down a hill yet. Yeah. We're actually sliding down the hill on a piece of bark at this point. Mm. It's really not the rocket age, is it? No. We're
2: going pretty fast though. Yeah, Again, the velocity is
0: awesome. Mm. We also don't have (laughs) brakes. Yeah. So that then raises a question that's popped up in some of the literature I found in my research and that's, okay, if we were to encounter sentience What's the chances of it being biological and you know, having been born, living, and dying? Mm. Well, that's quite low. You know, we are more likely to encounter something that we would call, from our current perspective, artificial intelligence—something that can be timeless because it's in a manufactured form. And you, know, as long as it can renew its power supply and you know stop itself from you know getting hit by a supernova, it just keeps on going on. Mm. But you know, if we imagined a human consciousness uploaded to a you know can deal with endless amounts of time piece of hardware, a human consciousness is gonna go insane from boredom and loneliness. Mm. So if we're gonna encounter a quote unquote AI that's been going, we need to go check out that strange solar system. It's got another planet in the Goldilocks zone. Generate another AI on a probe, launch it. Uh round trip's gonna be five million years. How loopy is AI gonna be? So it can't be an AI like us if it cares. Yeah, yeah. But,
2: and that's and that's another interesting point when we're talking about these. You know, uh, discard the question whether or not there's any life in the universe at all. Discard mm. the question whether or not it's sentient. What form does that sentience take? And that and that's kind of why I picked up on the on the religious or on mm, the yeah. or on the kind of the nature of the universe lending itself towards cooperation between entities to try and nail down what type of entities we would have. Because, you know, the the traditional uh, biological, the traditional evolutionary um, explanation, even if we were getting sentient species, kind of would suggest some kind of randomness. So maybe they're they're very um, uh, very capricious or very angry or or perhaps overly peaceful compared to us. Like you know?
0: us, their evolutionary path based on where they were right. and what their environment gave them. You know, they could have come from somewhere lush and green, and they're plant eaters. Yep. And war is pointless because it takes twelve hours a day to chew enough food. Right. Mm. They could essentially be like hippie Buddhist aliens. That stopped everything. Yeah. I- <laughs>
1: I
2: want to get some of that space ganja. <laughs> okay,
1: I I sorry i i will i will bring this back around and I apologise for the listeners and everyone for how far back I'm now reaching to come back to what we're actually talking about Do now, which team. is AI. But Go for it. Uh, it, at the end of that kind of religious conversation, it was an interesting point that we came to where. You know, uh, I guess there is this high probability, or that there is life out there, and you know we're judging these things through the perspective of modern science, and uh, like God or like whatever kind of religious entity that you believe in, it's not something that you can see we don't, we can't see the life out there. We can't even see the expansion of the universe, what we can see, what we can touch and what we have firsthand experience with is as limited in this area of science as it is with religion. And it's interesting how, um, you may have people who reject the other side for the exact reasons that, the, the, their opponents would do in in the yeah, sense yeah. that yeah yeah like you know we can't see God why would you believe in yeah. him you we, can't see aliens why would you believe in them yeah
2: but there's this weird kind of thing that's happened at the moment um and I've seen a lot of lot of kind of observation on it that kind of it's not science it's mm. kind of like scientism yes yeah you know you have yeah. somebody be like um, oh you've got to do this because of science and it's like yeah. well what do you mean by that and it's yeah. like I read an article science is a
0: method it's a way of going how do we prove this is the best answer we got but right. also the big bit. People people forget with science, it's going, have we got a new version? Mm. And if we do, get rid of conventional wisdom. And even science, we see so many fields. Mm. If a conventional wisdom is not changed quickly, it becomes too strong. Mm. So, Mm. you know, we're not real good at grabbing the new. We're good at grabbing the new shiny toy. Sure. We're not good at doing the complicated new thing. Well, I I guess the point is, is that no
1: matter what you believe in, I, I think in, in, I, I, I just don't see any merit in saying that one is actually more valid than another no, in the sense uh, that realistically, if you were to go from a kind of epistemological f- thing, like you, you're you basing it off something you've read and it's just what you value as a kind of more or less religious text, if you mm, kind of believe in scientism,
0: well, let's say. Mm. <laughs> but I think this is the key difference. If we, again, the horseshoe analogy was great. Mm. We sort of got two things that are very similar. It yes. seems to me the difference between, believing in God and Mm. believing in an advanced alien is in the main to believe in God is saying, normally we're in God's image, Mm. God has a plan and God cares, Mm. and there's an afterlife.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I think the alien side is, might've been a cool experiment. They may not still be around and they really don't care and they're not guaranteeing us an afterlife. Yeah. Right, uh, I suppose the and I, I like version two a lot better because I get more autonomy.
2: Oh, totally. Well, but I mean, version one came from a time you know uh,
0: everything was whoa. How does that work? Yeah, exactly. You know,
2: it, yeah. religion was back. You know, uh, thousands of years ago, it was law mm. and it was uh, it was science mm. and it was run society,
0: explain the world, control the peeps. Mm. Yeah, exactly. everything rolled into one. I mean, Absolutely. those things are all valuable. Like, yep. I, I and mean,
1: we can we've talked about that at length. Point is that uh, and I sorry, I don't want to. I'm sorry to. Shut that off. I want to come back to the AI thing. No, do it. Because <laughs> uh, we're talking about whether it has consciousness in in the same way that I, we do, which is, you know, uh, I had a philosopher explain this to me recently on another podcast mm. that AI has the power to reckon,
0: but it doesn't have the power to judge because it doesn't care about anything. Yeah. Um, Whereas I think the thing that gets sent out into space to make first contact. Mm you probably can't just reckon. How could that be a first envoy? Mm.
1: No, no, it would be way more, you would imagine yeah. it would be way more advanced, but then it, again, pulls into the question, how special are we as a species mm. if things can be manufactured to experience things, if if not in similar ways to us, in more complicated ways than us? And that just seems crazy. Oh, well,
2: we yeah. might not be very special at all. No, no I know, no. yeah. And Which this is,
0: is this sort of other side that both links the AI and The religious thing, all in one kind of idea. Mm. You know, if we imagine going back to the year 1000 and, you know, we took back a laptop, a mobile phone, you know, any number of other devices and could go, oh, here's, you know, 500 audio books and my thing. Here, I'll make this small, you know, square of glass read to you. (laughs) Uh, We would have been burnt for witchcraft. Mm -hmm. Mm. So when we talk about these things, we look back and go, we would have been burnt as witches. We're going to look up and go, wow. Is that God or an alien? Well, what's the difference? If we if we are so backward relative to yeah. what we're encountering, mm. it doesn't really matter other than it matters if you have faith in one or the other. Mm. And if you have faith in it, that's a whole other question. And it's an interesting question. Whereas I like the idea of us being a, a science experiment, mm. but them having moved on and discovered pizza. Like they'll come back eventually and <laughs> go, hey, dudes, you didn't kill yourselves. Awesome. Here's what we did to you. That I like. I like the idea that we were an experiment, but then we got left alone. But the idea that anyone had a grand plan. No, that's too much autonomy taken away. That's trying to tell people from day one: stay in your place, be what you're meant to be. Don't challenge the limits. Mm.
2: I find the idea that we're. That, that were an experiment, a little unsettling. I would yeah, prefer yeah. the idea that it was something like the plan to spread sentience across the galaxy. I, I would I would find that more heartening okay. than the idea that it was just like, oh, Zarafla, let's just rattle this planet a little and see what happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, see, I like that because that would be like me going, "Oh, <laughs> well, this is the 497th planet we found that the kind of, well, they're not going to get there, mm. but they're getting there. Yeah, let's, Do give, this. let's give them a little bit of a genetic shot.
2: Do this one without looking.
0: Yeah, any, mini money jab. Do
2: this one with your least dominant tentacle. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <What happens? laughs> oh man,
1: uh, I, I, I want to reject it. I'm, I'm on Peter's side. I want to. I want to reject that. Like my my intuition says that that's not right. But there's no, I there's
0: no reason for that. So, yeah. Yeah. intuition or social conditioning that historically our species believes in entities who shape our future. Mm.
1: Infor- uh, so intuition informed by social conditioning. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah,
0: Again, just to say, all these things are historical. Mm. So historical. Yeah, you know, let's look at the Pacific Islands after World War II. You get all these cargo cults emerge. Ah, oh, right where suddenly they create whole new gods that wear khaki uniforms and bring stuff. Mm. <laughs> it's perfectly logical. Yeah. We live on our island. We've got a coconut and a fish. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, all this stuff floats ashore. The Marines turn up. They're there for two weeks. They leave enough stuff The weed out of these things called cans for the next two years. More mm. cargo. <laughs> Even on Earth, in, you know, within living memory, humans have created gods to explain normal things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep well, that's There's what a, we do
2: there are some is it Pacific some Pacific Islanders who uh, eulogize as was one of the royal family he paid a visit there at yeah, some point Prince Philip yes, yes so he
0: writes to them every year mm-hmm. checks in to make sure oh, they're really? okay oh that's yeah. delightful well because they still go like you know, you know we're still staying true to the faith oh <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> In a really bad kind of way. <laughs> <clears throat>
1: yeah, I mean, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, but well, you know, equally as bad, though, I think, David, is someone who's rattled the cage and said that we're the 497th experiment planet. Yeah, no, see,
0: again, that's where I am sufficiently Nietzschean. <laughs> Let's see. Where I see. As I just go, like, if, if I, as a sort of Nietzschean Ubermensch, have decided to work on me, mm-hmm. well, here's a question for the Nietzsche scholars out there. <laughs> Would a good Ubermensch mess with a lower species?
1: Uh, was Nietzsche, well, hold on, was, was, was Nietzsche vegetarian or, I don't know this. Oh, I actually don't know if No,
0: no, nah, nah, he ate everything Sky. Yeah, so everything. then uh, you would assume yes. Yeah, like Nietzsche would have just been like, well. well on that basis. You know, if, if you're not going to be able to become a mensch on your own, and oh. I've got the technology. hmm So, uh, okay, let, let's Yeah, spin okay, this. yeah, fair, exactly. Let's just temporarily spin this to the other end of this. So, you know, UFO pops up in Sky. Mm-hmm. It seems every time humans are nearer to large amounts of conflict, mm-hmm. we see more UFOs as a species. Mm-hmm. You know, after well, during World War One, lots of science during the U.S. Civil War was the first big wave in the U.S. All oh, right, it seems to be during war it goes through the roof. Hmm. After that's the, interesting, after oh the, yeah, right. more planes. Uh, no, just it must be that I would imagine if you know, if we potentially are killing each other, that's more relevant. And you know, after the use of nuclear weapons. UFO sightings go through the roof. Mm. Um, The amount of freaky UFO and alien sightings during the Vietnam War—is that right? It's crazy,
1: man. I still—it's a bit like my. my,
0: (laughs) Sorry, go.
2: No, no. I was just going to say, Tim, because you know the the Foo Fighters, right? Yeah, the band that's it's named based after on a thing after,
0: saw in World War II that yeah. they think the Germans had either oh. built or borrowed.
2: The uh, the term "Foo Fighters" originated in World War II used by Allied pilots to describe what they thought at that time was German um, hardcore and, and Japanese technology, right? Because yeah. they, they were getting they were seeing getting these buzzed
0: by these things that were just going like bats out of yeah. hell.
2: But that were that were moving in such a way that they that they couldn't believe that they were yeah. they were aircraft. Any, but, anyway. but uh, and after the war, the two sides came together and they were like, you know, what about those crazy aircraft? And the Germans were like, oh, we thought those were yours, yeah.
0: Everyone agreed, uh, uh. so I don't use that to sort of get us into more kind of odd places, but to make the point if what we encounter is a light whizzing through the sky, mm. we get excited, and go, oh, it's a light whizzing through the sky, yeah. And we do the human thing of going, on board must be a living being, mm. you know, called Daryl. And Daryl can cope with the high Gs and is flying and can do a handbrakey. Well, why? Why do we assume that? Because it's more comfortable. Even if it's different to us, we want it to still be a sentient being who was mm. born, grew up, mm. and is flying a craft. Because mm. our heads can get around that. But what if we look at, you know as we understand more physics, this idea that space and time can be bent? Mm. What if all we're seeing is a species or an entity so advanced, they bend space and time and go, that little planet's interesting. Let's bend space time, get close enough, we can see them and they can see us. Mm.
2: But I've got a question. Why let us see them at all? My, my argument would be,
0: that, and this is Yeah, there'd be stealth and we'd never know. Well, this is yeah. it.
2: If if a, a, a species or um, an entity, maybe, that's sufficiently advanced enough to be able to visit here should, you would imagine, be advanced enough to be able to observe undetected. Undetected, yes. And given that we haven't had, possibly, given that we haven't had an announced visit, first contact, how you doing why would they let there be these small traces of their presence ahead of that? Mm. You know, um, assuming that the reason uh, they haven't made contact in a formal way is because we're not ready, which, mm. which I would, uh, this might be jumping ahead to something we might talk about later, which is mm. what I would assume the reason that a sentient uh, species wouldn't announce themselves en masse to us right Yeah, and now. the
0: same reason we have zoologists and anthropologists mm. who try and let critters be in their environment and not be too messed up. Mm. Yeah. Why wouldn't we be seen as the same? Don't mess with the monkeys. Mm.
1: W- w- but you know, also, I don't, how accurate is the history? Let's, I don't know. Let's say we have, I, I wouldn't know enough to say. So I'm just going to make an estimate. and You can tell me if I'm wrong, David. But we have a relatively accurate history of say five thousand. I was going to say five
0: thousand of writing. Yeah. Well, it might be slightly longer now, but it's still no more than 10,000. Okay, no more than 10,000. So really, you know, that's, well, okay, no, I've got to bring Graham Hancock back in. Okay. Because it appears before the younger Dryas, we had a civilization all through the Americas, and the more they look in the Amazon, the more they're finding the remains of it. And it's all older. The More and more they map the Amazon, the more they find the remains of cities. But that's, that's, how accurate would you say that? Well, I, I think Hancock's right. I think more and more evidence is suggesting that we quite possibly had medieval-level civilizations yes. before the Younger Dryas. Okay, well so that, that, we probably had writing, point. lost writing, mm. got it back. Yes.
2: Sorry, one final little point. There was a, we don't know what burned down in the Library of Alexandrina, Ooh. but except for one, well, that we know a couple of titles. One of the titles is a book called The History of the Empires of the World, and that was a book that burnt in the Library of Alexandrina, something like, when was that? Something around zero? Yeah, it's a, yeah, years yeah. it's a very long time So ago. there were ancient books okay. talking about the history of the empires you know, of the world yeah. that burnt in the Library of Alexandrina. This is prior even to the Ptolemaic. Yeah. You know. yeah. wow, um,
0: there's another wonderful example that Hancock uses in the beginning of one of his books. Mm. In a library in Istanbul is a map of Antarctica. Of the coastline mm. but it's actually a map of uh the topography under the ice
2: what
0: <laughs> and the well a u.s air force officer saw the map in the 70s on holiday mm. and went hang on <laughs> we only mapped that two years ago mm. from planes mm-hmm. using ga- ground penetrating radar what and they're like, oh, that map is at least a 1,000 years old and is a copy of older maps. All we know oh. is, it, is it keeps being copied every now and then. Hmm. That's ridiculous. And I, that, that you know, puts it back. At, I think you know, his estimate is at least 25,000 years ago oh, that you would have been able to map it.
2: You know, I, I didn't think that this was going to go this way when no. I got up this morning, but I think we're dangerously close to like history channel at nighttime yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're seconds away from ancient aliens yeah. and I'm kind of <laughs> excited.
0: Well, and again, this is sort of where half of Hancock's work's amazing and the other half is worrisome because on looking at the evidence of things being incorrectly dated. So the best example of this is Gobekli Tepli in Turkey. The German archaeologists running the site who were doing well within conventional archaeology, were accepted by conventional universities, dated it to 5,000 years because we couldn't possibly have been smart enough to build anything like it before then. Hmm. Hancock went in and went, look at the way that star is being represented, look at the way that cluster of stars is being represented, look at... um, the angles there between where the sun and the moon are meant to be, all these kind of astronomical things. He says, based on proper evidence, this place is at least 11,000 years old. Anyway, the Germans threw him off the site. <laughs> the minute the senior German archaeologist running the site died, the Germans re-aged it at 11,000 years. <laughs> all it took was the right person to die to change the conventional wisdom. Mm. So I'd say one of the biggest problems, and you know, I, I didn't mean for today to go into the borderline conspiracy theory, but... That's interesting. A big part of what we're battling to try and make sense of these issues is overcoming the conventional wisdom and cognitive dissonance of growing up in residual monotheistic cultures that used religion to control society. Mm-hmm. So, trying to make sense, we can't even make sense of what happened before the younger Dryas. The fact that there's plenty of evidence of far more advanced societies in North America and South America than we expected. Yeah. So one of the most wonderful bits of evidence to come out recently is under... What's the wonderful uh, almost step pyramid in Java called Borobudur? Oh, uh, no idea. Can't remember. Anyway, it's Buddhist, Yeah. dated a couple of thousand years. Well, they decided to do some core samples under it and it's volcanic soil so they went quite deep. Mm-hmm. Um, hit shaped stone. Hmm. Uh, found bits of charcoal. In and on the shaped stone dated that to twenty five thousand years. Wow, uh, that's when the imams of Jakarta had a freak out and told Joko Widodo no more archaeology. That's the end of being a study of the site oh man.
2: Why, why was okay. that? Sorry, but I'm, I'm, well, it's a complete
0: that. threat to a modern monotheism. Yeah, ah, ah, ah. yep. unacceptable. Suggests that Borobudur had been built on it because <laughs> even two thousand years ago we had enough stories to know that place was way more important. Wow, mm. and from a, a far earlier period. Um, but you know, even if we were doing well before 11,000 years ago, and you know the evidence is pretty credible, then Hancock veers off into, yeah, but how do we build some of these amazing things where you can't get a piece of cigarette paper between the rocks? Oh, it must have been aliens, mm-hmm. or it must have been some skill we've lost. Mm-hmm. Well, no, how about we just talk about what we know? These things are older than three to five thousand years at most. They're more like 11 to 20,000 years. And how about we just say, we know that they're older. We know humans were painting them, living near them, working near them, even if we can't explain how the humans built it. Why can't we just go with give thing a proper date, even if we can't explain how it was built?
1: Yeah. Why do mm. we
0: always need a complete answer? And again, the, the way we're talking about this thing today, are we potentially randomly ordered as an experiment or randomly ordered with design? Mm-hmm discomfort comes from incomplete answers. Yep. And the biggest thing about this question of, you know, alien or God, which is it? Is the discomfort of not knowing. Mm -hmm.
1: We're always looking for these silver bullets.
0: Yep. The the clearer answer. And I don't know, I sometimes wonder if one of the biggest things I've got out of being blind and life being a bit chaotic and difficult Mm. is a much higher level of tolerance Mm. for discomfort. Mm. Mm. Definitely. Intellectual discomfort really doesn't bug me. Conventional wisdom bores the shit out of me. Mm. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, if we, I want to circle back to some probabilities and if let's say, let's go with writing because that's, I think that's what people would take as evidence. Mm. If we've got accurate history of five and a half thousand years or five thousand Mm. years, whatever it is, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, then... What is necessarily the probability that we would have been visited in that time? Because that, in I guess in in uh, in our space time, is actually quite a short period. So yeah. you know, we're saying, you know, there's no evidence that they've come and visited us, and no. you know, they've never revealed themselves. Yeah, okay, in the last five and a half thousand years or whatever, but mm. prior to that, maybe twenty five thousand years ago, they yep. had. So you know, and it, what
0: if at the eleven thousand year point when the younger dryas, you know, the comet hit? Yeah. the northern US, we actually knew that there were far more advanced species and we called them God. Yep. But gods did visit. Yeah. See, uh, you know, one of the most amazing carvings in South America, and people like uh, Von Daniken, you know, the guy who believes in ancient aliens visiting Earth, you know, it's one of the ones he gets all excited about. It mm. essentially looks like a humanoid wearing a space helmet, mm. sitting in a chair using joysticks and pedals under his feet, mm-hmm. like flying a craft. Yeah. Why the hell would you carve that? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you carve a humanoid w- wearing a bubble like helmet and using joysticks and pedals? Right. Devil, where, where does that come from? Imagination. Devil's advocate time.
2: Okay, you've got tens of thousands of drawings by tens of thousands of artists all across the world. One of them looks like something that we hmm. that that we that we uh, know, yeah. and all of the ones that just look like squiggles and are indecipherable don't look like it. Okay, anything.
0: And something to add to this, which is really interesting too. They just found a whole pile of new caves full of ancient paintings in Colombia. And the amazing thing is they're prehistoric and they're all using perspective properly.
2: Oh, oh, wow.
0: So once again, it appears we got there with art and then lost it during a stupid phase.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I've got something to take up with our benevolent alien overlords. Why didn't you tune down the angry ape a little bit? Because we still had
0: to deal with wolves, tigers and lions. Yeah, come back. Come back. It's maybe be a one-shot deal, man. Like there was only three pizzas in the fridge.
2: I could do with like fifty percent less fight or flight adrenaline. Yeah, I'm going to tell you right at the moment. Under <laughs> at least at least until the COVID things,
0: okay. solved. I'm, and we I'm a weird avoid. critter. I, I kind of like being wired. Whoa. I'm so used to it. Mm. I don't know how I'd go being a mellow hippie. Really? Mm.
2: Oh man, oh, hey. it me right up. But uh, use some but you. Sound,
1: <laughs> but you, sound, but you sound, <laughs>
0: <laughs> we have the best weird conversations. Turn it it's
2: right just, down.
1: It just but David somehow seems calm in his wiredness. So it, it just doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, get it's cute. on the
0: inside. You, you seem confused. like the
2: most relaxed person. I know, yeah. literally. Yeah. yeah, but that's
0: because it's just you. Know, you just got to keep the V12 motor <laughs> on the ability to to, you know, to put the 400 horsepower down.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: can, can we talk uh, back on track here, uh, for a second Tim's getting us back on track about the Israeli security dude uh, yeah their space security top dude who said you know the aliens have told you know Earth that our population is not ready but he feels that we are ready so he said you know we're in contact with the Federation regularly Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, whatevs, dude.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then there was the Mexican Air Force that released all of that, those videos of, uh, of Foo Fighters a couple of years ago. They were oh. just like, hey, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, we're sick of it. We're releasing all this footage this yeah. of weird things in the sky. See, that-
0: it would seem to me that all this footage, if it is of something not from Earth, mm. is of probes that just sit sleepily on the moon and purely do surveillance. And then, you know, tight beam home the information. Mm. Monkeys still semi-dangerous, haven't killed each other yet. (laughs) Seems like a good place to finish. (laughs) Well, okay. Audience, the big lesson of today. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable Mm. and try not to kill each other. Otherwise, we don't find out how this ends. Anyone else want to add something? Because that was a really weird way to end. Yeah,
2: sure. Um, <laughs> hey, look, if uh, if aliens, if there are any aliens, extraterrestrial entities mm. listening to this, you know, I've studied uh, philosophy and anthropology. You know, uh, Tim and David are brilliant. We're happy to be liaisons, anthropologists, <laughs> midway people, whatever mm. you need. So if you're, if you're in the neighborhood, if you're not too scared of the rona,
0: mm. then, uh, yeah. Well, more importantly, if you actually want to interact with us.
2: Mm. Oh yeah. Come on the show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Just send a, just send a weird radio signal. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Through everyone's, uh, yeah. headphones.
1: I'm also available via electronic email. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> electronic mail. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Electronic email, pin number. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, barcode. Yeah. Barcode. Yeah. Um, Got to keep it alienated. All right. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us today, Peter. Absolute pleasure to be back here, as always. And thank you very much, David.
0: Thank you, audience. Now remember, keep it alienated. (laughs) Don't be alienated. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the Auscast Network. Peace out.